Welcome to the Creative Industry Insight Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guest, stunt performer Harley Durst, joins us to talk about their work on The Batman. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode, so make yourself comfortable as we jump into the conversation with Harley. Hi, Harley. Thanks for joining me today. Pleasure, Robert. Thanks for having me. Glad that you could join me and jump on and talk about the Batman. I should say from the offset, I actually did work on the film. I spent, what, 2019 to 2021 on the film. So I have a feeling that I might have bumped into you. And I have a feeling that I might have watched a rehearsal early on, which I hope this story is correct when I was in the state, not the stage, the uh, the stunt, stunt workshop, area. yeah, where you have all the box, the cardboard boxes, which at first didn't make sense to me, and then I got told by Jane, the stunt office coordinator, yes. if you if you want to see like what we do, go watch what they're doing right now. Yeah, they had somebody in the bat suit clipped in, fighting everybody, and then I think a rigger left let's like a lever go and they went they flew backwards into the boxes yes was that you that may well have been me i can't okay. confirm I'll... or deny because <laughs> i don't know the specific moment i can't remember the date but i remember just watching and being like okay this is pretty cool yeah so that may have been an early rehearsal for the neck bomb explosion that goes off at the at the uh, funeral that makes so much sense now. Now that yeah. I like think about it, because at the time I'm just watching, it's like wow, cool. And then now thinking about it, and then if you watch the because tra- it's in the trailer as well, seeing That's that right. point, okay. Yeah, because we had a lot of boxes set up then that was representative of the chairs that he was going to go crashing into and through during that that, that time. Because that's probably my, one of my favorite scenes in the film, the whole funeral scene and the build up to that. Well, let me tell you a little interesting tidbit about that stunt, because I also thought that I knew when that stunt came up, that was going to be one of the coolest gags in the film, because it's not often you get to have a live special effect explosion flame going off with a ratchet, a jerk back, sending you back and crashing into chairs and doing all of that as a sort of very real functional, practical stunt as a superhero. And the legend rick english did all of the testing for that as the batman but we tested the special effect inside our rehearsal space and it was quite a big special effect and it was going up quite close and we took all the necessary precautions of pyrex lenses and fire gel protective clothing and we did that practical jerk back where the explosion's going off right in his face and blasting him backwards and then as it played out, Rick was then busy on another unit, probably doing vehicles and motorcycle stunts. So then I was next in line to do that gag. And I was super happy about that because it was going to be an amazing gag. And I knew that it would be one of the coolest gags. And it, of course, it made the trailer. So it ended up being the coolest gag. And then I got a phone call off another production that I'd been working on previously. And they wanted to do some reshoots with me in L.A., 
and I told them that I wasn't busy and they said, oh, no, it's no problems at all. We've already been in touch with the producer. We know that you're working with Steve Griffin, our coordinator, uh, so we can all sort it out on our back end. And I made it very clear in the email that I appreciate the offer. I need to put all my time and energy into this production because it meant a lot to me. And they basically went and organized it on the back end through the producers, which is a very wonderful position to be in. And it's, it's not a complaint of mine at all. But I then got the phone call that I would be flying to LA for two weeks to shoot some pickup scenes, which was Fast, Fast and Furious 9 at the time, uh, which was an amazing experience in itself. But then I missed out on doing that gag. And then Scott Kirkbride, who was our third in line as a Batman stunt double, he got to do that gag. And, and literally last minute, he got called in to do that and he nailed it. It was, it was an amazing, amazing job. And that's the gag that you see in the trailer and in the film. Oh, that's so cool. It's when you think about like the practical side of stunts, because that's probably one of the dangerous stunts in the film. I don't, I think it's probably the second one from the looks of it. I think the first one is there's the shot of this is actually like the photo that was plastered all around like Daily Mail and everything. And I think it was you on top of the tower in Liverpool. Yes, the Royal Liver Building. Yes. And the, I'm jumping like all over with my questions on this, but it's just seeing you in the suit and everything in the um glider suits and like well i think the first question i want to ask is were you not like scared of being that high up in that area and then like the whole idea of doing the stunt but then how much planning goes into it before you guys actually come onto location and have a look at what it looks like yeah there's lots of different incarnations of how they can achieve the results and the shots that they wanted and I believe that there was actually a building in Chicago that they were going to use for that. And it was going to be a practical stunt, whether it was going to be a stunt performer attached to a helicopter or off to a crane system on a different building. There were different alternatives that they were looking at to do that practically. And then the COVID pandemic hit and then that got moved to somewhere local and the Royal Liver building was chosen. And then we went through all different iterations of how we could achieve that. And then doing it at the Royal Liver Building, there were limitations of not being able to hard rig from the building because it's heritage listed. And then that creates a whole other set of problems and having to soft rig off the building. So you can't put in solid bolted anchors and things like this. And the access is a very narrow stairway to get right up to the clock tower. And at the end of the day, it is myself standing on that precipice of the the structure which is not allowed to be touched modified or set differently it's just a sculpted stone um, shape of, of the wall that we're standing on that was curved on all sides it's not flat in any way and then me being soft rigged by a single line that's sort of high and back from me that I can't have any tension and pressure in when I'm standing up there because it was quite windy when you're up on the outside of the building and you're wearing a wing a a actual practical functional wingsuit that is meant to fly and catch air. So you're just a, a big sail standing up there and then having to pitch and lean out forward and just fall into that line, knowing that it's going to catch you. I do get a fear of heights sometimes. So just hearing that and idea of like falling, just hoping for that line to sort of catch you. But then that yeah, is the trust that you build with all like your team and department and 
it is the uh, one of the money shots and people i've seen people make you know seen gifs of it and everything and just like yeah and it's also it is a, another money shot of the trailer as well so it's kind of cool yeah that you know there's two two things in there as well but i mean we, I, I will say one thing with that is that there's a misconception about stunt performers being fearless and adrenaline junkies and things like that <laughs> and i can tell you i'm not that person it, i mean it, you're exactly right everything comes down to the training and the trust in the team but i had a funny moment up on top of the Royal Liver building. And I have a background in parkour and I've done a lot of building gap jumps, running at height, doing things at height. And I'm totally fine and comfortable doing that to the level that I know that I can do. But one thing I've always had trouble at is just standing on the edge of a very high structure. If I'm doing something, I'm fine. If I'm jumping off it, that's fine. But if I just have to stand on the edge, <laughs> it's the natural fear is that is in there so i made that aware to the rigger who i trusted very much and i got up before i was in the bat suit i was just in my playing clothes with my harness on standing on the edge of that building in the middle of the day and i could not for the life of me stop my right leg from shaking like a dog and he's like dude are you okay and i was like just count me in and i'll be fine he doesn't count three two one go and just without any feeling of of resistance just having to lean forward and pitch out off the building <laughs> that was terrifying well it, i think you had the i think i've done some climbing in before and it sounds like you had a classic case of elvis leg with Absolutely. the way they sort of like <laughs> with a little like twings in the leg and everything and but even having the idea of being that high up and it just I remember when you see the photos online and everything of everybody sort of rigging it up and getting that shot because it's not I, I think on top of that is that it's also would, would have been shot at night for that scene so That's then correct. that probably would have created more uh, it would have created more not necessarily issues but it would have created more hurdles for you guys to jump over because you'd have probably spent the whole day rigging it up making sure everything's set but then at night things always look slightly different. Yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the issues with the cowl is that it's very difficult to look down because of where the cowl sits on the lower part of the, the cheek or the upper part of your cheekbone below your eye. And the restriction of the cowl movement and also the posture that the director, Matthew Reeves, wanted Batman to be standing in. And I remember having a funny conversation with Greg Fraser, our DP, after the fact, because... When I finally saw a uh, monitor, it looked incredible and I was blown away, it, like straight out of the you know, barrel of the lens. It looked like Gotham and the, the colours and the clock tower and the structure was, it was amazing. But doing it during the broad daylight and you've got a reference of horizon and you can sort of spot things for geography of where you're facing and standing and balance and things like that. At nighttime, the massive lights that Greg Fraser had lighting that to illuminate it were just blasting me in the eyes and it was really hard to see a, a point of reference apart from the helicopters which were moving and that makes you feel uneasy because you're losing your balance so that would made it what i thought was going to be a lot easier because at night time you can't see how high up you are necessarily you don't have that the sense of fear isn't as great it, it made it more difficult because all the lights just like blasting me in the straight in the eyes because how many times would you say that you did the stunt to capture on uh, on camera, or would it be, or was it just like a one take wonder? No, we 
shot that in three different phases. There's the initial uh, pitch off the building. Then there was obviously the flight and the flying. And then we did a uh, obviously the crash landing at the bottom. So we ended up pitching off the structure. Oh, <laughs> I don't imagine how many times it was a lot. Because when we went back and we were doing it with the the camera mounted on the back of the helmet, that was a whole other rig in a studio space that we then had to recreate the flight leading into the camera mount on the front, looking at, at Batman's face sort of down the lens. So that shot that you see of the guards running in is all PO, uh, it's not a POV, it's like a reverse POV of, of Batman having the, the mount on the back of his head and diving off and seeing the wingsuit sort of inflate behind him. I mean, we did that a lot and that helmet camera was incredibly heavy and that was a whole other thing of, it's stunts that you don't really, and, and this is actually the beauty of Batman, there were so many amazing shots that Matthew Reeves conceived, and then the teams were able to figure out how we can do this. Whether it was a camera mounted onto a vehicle, or in this case, a camera mounted onto the back of the onto a helmet that we were wearing, that was seeing the back of Batman and the wingsuit, they become so challenging because, in a way, you end up becoming the camera operator and you have to hold your head in a certain way, and you've got key moments where you have to look. And at one stage, we actually had a laser pointer mounted on the front of my helmet because I realized very quickly that using an eye line for marks is not consistent because sometimes you just move your eyes and not your whole head. So then the laser pointer attached to the helmet on the back of the camera, I could physically move that laser pointer to certain marks so that he saw everyone running up behind me and that action as they're grabbing as me as I was jumping off the building. It's way more complicated than what it sees. And this, for me, as a stunt performer, uh, this film in particular is also a beautiful example of the amount of man hours and time and effort and energy that we put into these shots. And the raw footage looks absolutely incredible. And then it's just a fleeting moment in the film. And I look back and think, oh, they could have made more of that. They should have, like, drawn that out. But that's the beauty of Matt Reeves' filmmaking and what he's achieved with this film. It's just all a part of the world. And the beauty is in, I guess, the simplicity of his shots and what he's able to achieve to, to create those, what is seemingly simple shots, but they're incredibly technical and complicated. Going back to what you're saying about having that laser pointer to hit, hit each mark is something that is like, that must have been such painstakingly planning for not just yourself to be moving to places but also the, the you know the DOP to make sure that it's going to look right but then also the electrical team to make sure that they read the lights correctly and as you said it's like it's just a fleeting moment in the film but it's also just the attention to detail that everybody puts in just creating those sort of small moments in a big film. Mm. Like um, one of the prime examples in the film is uh, during the car chase sequence where the, the tanker gets rolled over and explodes as the penguin drives around it and then you think the Batman's been blown up in this fireball and then there's this amazing shot of a camera mounted on the side of the Batmobile shooting backwards and you see the Batmobile jumping out of the flame and landing and smashing into the back of the penguin vehicle and the chase continues. So that is a world-class 
rally driver driving the penguin vehicle with a camera mounted that had to do this maneuver around this exploding truck as Rick English was driving the Batmobile, jumping it through the, the fireball and landing. And the timing had to be so precise for the, for the drivers for that to happen. And so all of the planning that they put in place, rehearsing, 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 there was no B camera. Like there was no, oh, what if we set off this massive explosion fire this truck rig and the stunt driver doesn't get the shot? <laughs> they had to get the shot. And it's not a CG insert. There's no layover in there. You see the Batmobile and the shooting off the, off the back of the Penguin. So sorry, I, yeah, the camera's mounted to the Penguin's vehicle. And then you see the Batmobile flying into frame. Like that's planning, planning, planning. And that's just, uh, that probably took many nights to shoot for just for that sort of moment. But and then mm. it's also that I guess stunt work is slightly like a dance routine where timing, practice and just being at the right sort of hitting the right steps at the right time, especially like with fighting it might be slightly easier. But then when you're doing it with cars and everything, it's just like even more insane to think that like, You've got people who have to plan this and make sure that they, you know, as you said, no B camera. You have sort of like one take to do it and then reset and then having fire and other things involved. It's just like mind blowing yeah. um, to think. That's right. That, it, that really set this film apart for me. Like when we were doing the gantry fight at the top of the arena at the end of the film, there was one really difficult move where I was taking out one of the bit of nobodies and doing being shot at and doing this sort of reverse spin across to another section of the gantry. And it's a sort of nice overhead shot to show the how high up we were. And because of the way that my lines were being rigged and the other guys that were actually on practical safety lines running along these I-beams and gantry, my line had to break underneath theirs. So I couldn't use that line to help me get across. It was just a safety in case I missed and fell off. And... Robert Alonso, the second unit director, was like, come on, Harley, we need to see more air, we need more distance, more compromise of you to jumping across this gap, doing this sort of reverse spin around. And it was, again, at heights, and it was super difficult. And I got it on about the third or fourth take, and I was so freaking happy and stoked and pumped that we got it. Screaming kind of, it was amazing. And I turned around, and the camera department was like, sorry, dude, we missed it. And I was just like, I was like, what? What? And the coordinator came up and was like, dude, you should see this camera movement they're doing. Like the crane movement and the wheels trying to get the camera to keep in frame. Like they were having as much trouble as I was to do my thing. I was like, right, okay, I get it. Like, it's not just us, you know, it's not just this complicated choreography that we're trying to achieve. Like the camera department is doing very, very complicated movements to make it all fit in. When you think about it, it's like not just what's happening on screen, but the focus puller, the camera operator needs to make sure that they're being able to capture capture everything. But then also you've got the grips who, if you've got it on a dolly or whatever they've come up with to to sort of get the shot as well, is yeah, it's just kind of like insane. And also like the talent that people have to to capture what's being shown on that you will see on screen. Yeah, that's right. With the camera department, they were using very long lenses. They were anamorphic lenses. So that's kind of like 
uh, the, the image ends up getting squashed down and it's a little bit wider on the sides compared to a normal lens and it gives that really beautiful kind of squishing of light. So when you see the flashlights, how it's kind of like pancaked out, squished to the side, that's a byproduct of the lens. Not it's, a, it's not a special effect or anything like that. And because they're using long lenses, the camera is quite a long way away. So most of the action films that people see, they might be on even a 16 millimeter lens or a 20 millimeter lens or even 24 meter, millimeter lens. And the camera is really close to the action. It makes everything look really far, like you're really involved in the action. And the lenses that they were shooting on was like 70 millimeters, 100 millimeter lenses. So the camera was quite a long way back. And that means the focus pull has got to be on point for depth of field. And we have to be on point for hitting our marks during the choreography so that everything matches up. So we're in frame because the, the wiggle room for all of those things to be out is so small. <laughs> And the amount of times we had to rehearse and do these shots over and over again, it was brutal. But then the, the end product, it kind of speaks for itself. And you have that sort of moments. And I guess, I don't know if you ever look online as well with what people say and their reaction to everything being like, oh my gosh, this bit, oh, this bit, oh, I love this bit. And that must give you that sort of like, you know, gunslinger moment where you go sort of blow the gun off, put it back into the holster, being like, yeah, we did that. Like we I, did that I, collectively. Yeah, I try to appreciate it for what it was for me because there's always negative comments and those negative comments often get more views than the positive ones. So I love, I love hearing you say that. I don't want to go out and hunt for those comments because I'm going to find a whole lot of negative ones and be like, don't understand what we went through. Like I saw, I saw a funny one that was like representation of the winged bat suits. It was like... Robert Patterson, and it was me standing on top of the live building in the middle of the day. It's just like candidly caught by somebody with a long lens. It's not a part of the film or press kit or anything else. And it's got like Christian Bale and his amazing big cape with like the bat-shaped wing. And it's got Michael Keaton's bat wing and all these sort of variations looking badass and amazing because they're part of the production. And then it's got dinky me standing up with the <laughs> wingsuit on the edge of the building. I was like, come on, guys. Anyway. It's like, uh, some, I bet you somebody made like a, a meme being like, when you buy something from Wish, it's like expectation, reality. And That's it's right. just like, oh, oh so hard. Right. <laughs> but then I guess all like perception changes afterwards once they see everything and when they get the vibe and actually understand what's presented rather than some person taking a snap from, you know, meters and meters away. But what I'm curious about as well is because you're a stunt double and body double for Batman, you kind of, I'm curious to know that, you know, is there, was there a time where you'd sit down and talk with, Rob Patterson, who's, who plays Bruce Wayne and Batman, to understand what his movement's going to be like in the Batsuit, but also his movements and the way he's creating the character. Because there must be some way that you need to replicate that at the same time as well when you're in the Batsuit. Yeah, so my approach with that is that the actor is the character that's portraying, that's portrayed on screen. And I'll do everything I can with my repertoire and toolkit to, uh, to honor that and give life to that for what they do. I don't feel it's necessary to have the conversations with them because you sort of, 
mimic things and you pick them up through the rehearsal process and training. And there's little conversations we have with fight choreographers and stunt coordinators about, do you think Robert could do this? And then we have training sessions and we give them some choreography and it just sort of develops. But I've never felt inclined and I always do my best. I've always seen them as, as the character uh, and Robert Patterson was no different. He's a brilliant actor. He was really physical coming in and, um, and training with us. And there was such limitations because of the suit. And then the suit is its own entity, right? It makes you stand a certain way. It makes you move a certain way. It has limitations. And right, made Robert looked freaking amazing in the bat suit. And I would be standing on set in the bat suit at times with him. And I'd watch him do a scene. I'd be like, God damn, he looks so cool. I'm sure I don't look that cool. And then when I would bring these things up with him, he would just laugh. <laughs> I feel the same way about you and Rick. Like I see you guys standing there doing stuff and he's thinking to himself, oh, God damn, they look so cool. I bet I don't look that cool. <laughs> I'd be like, what? That's hilarious. Because like we don't feel that way at all. But then you realise that he's actually just going through the same thing we are of like, oh, man, this cow is so sweaty or I can't see to my left or I can't see down. Like there's quite a few where somebody passes you something and sometimes you just got to guess where their hand's going because you physically can't see it or whatever that thing is. And the cape then is its own entity in itself, like trying to just be low on the ground and stand up can be the most difficult thing because you accidentally put your heel on part of the cape and then all of a sudden you choke yourself and you fall backwards. And there's all these like little, little things that should be so easy that are incredible, incredibly difficult. But yeah, I mean, to say the least, it was an absolute pleasure working with Robert. He's such a professional. And there was always sort of these funny moments where you have a little bit of fun, you know, like turn around and you've just like lined up a, a, a sequence or something for him to do. And he steps in and you'd be like, who do you think you are? And you're like, I'm the Batman. <laughs> I'm the Batman. <laughs> it's just all that like little stupid banter as you walk past each other or whatever it is. It's fun. As well with wearing the suit, I can imagine that they create various iterations of the suit. So you have the hero suit, which Rob would wear, but then you'd have the suit the stunt, stunt performers would wear. Was that slightly altered so that there's more movement for you guys to move around, uh, be able to fight in, or was it all... Was it or were they all just quite similar? Uh, yeah, there is generally a hero suit that Robert would always wear, and then we had varying degrees of. Uh, we really only had one stunt suit each, but there was sort of different components that could be hard or soft depending on what we're doing for fighting sequence and things like that. It's just not practical to have the hard set gauntlets on the forearms and things like that. It becomes too dangerous for others. So there's only very small subtleties like that for the, the cowl is the same, you know, the, the cape is the same, the actual suit for the most part is the same. It's just there's some little additions. The belt might be a soft belt if you're falling and rolling and things like that. Yeah, but they are very similar and they are incredibly heavy, like surprisingly heavy. <laughs> but this is something that you have to work with because they look so freaking cool. Yeah, just the whole sort of, armor of it all basically it is just a 21st century knight's armor really mm. not the real thing might not be bulletproof but if they've designed it in a certain way that it's supposed to withstand like bullets fighting and everything and then not to have a scratch on it as well 
you need to create that sort of realism as well. And I I do love the design where they have the um the batarang, sorry, on the, on the chest plate. It's just like so freaking cool. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's such a simple but really cool idea that they could just have it in plain sight. Boom, take it out of my chest, cut through whatever, or chuck it at someone. I, I don't even. I, looking back, I can't even remember how much it played in the film. But the grappling gun. We had a functional grappling gun gauntlet that you could twist your hand in a certain way and the grappling gun would detach from the forearm and swing out on a mechanism into the hand to then fire the grappling gun. And that was really cool. It was like you felt like this like Western Robocop type (laughs) mechanism. (laughs) The grapple gun does play a big part in the police chase when... He punches Gordon, he's running away, and then he shoots up the staircase, um, where, again, they have that cool, insane shot right on top of Batman as he goes up, and then you just see everybody sort of trying to chase him. And it's, I think, I think this is probably the one of the few Batman films where you do see the fear of Batman appear in the film when he's doing these crazy stunts and there is that humanity to him where he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe... Uh, this is happening and everything especially when you know on when he's doing the base jump when he's going up the um going up, up the, the stairwell. Uh, stairwell yeah so yeah. thank you sorry yeah that, um, that's right and that was something that matt reeves was really pushing like we would do is say the sequence where the, uh, the sniper takes out falcone and then batman grapples up and crashes in through the window we had all these different devices and mechanisms that could propel us through a window and crash into a, a hallway and we were always landing like a superhero would land like cool and upright and wide stance and you know in control 100 percent. and matt reese was like no like you wouldn't come in like that like you know you're figuring this stuff out it's like you're kind of new to this and what you're like crashing in upside down out of control and messy and this is real like i want this to, to look like this guy's figuring this out and yeah he's like it's, it's way more in the real world and and that kind of thing so that was that was a challenge in itself yeah because i guess the traditional superhero film now they're not even though they're figuring out they'll still be able to land perfectly look have that sort of badass moment whilst batman's still sort of fumbling around at times Um, (laughs) and i think as well you see that with not necessarily in the fighting but that he still takes shots to the body and everything and that it's, and that's shown in like the sort of first fight scene where in the train station, which is another sort of great sort of opening to the film as you just have the Michael Giacchino score building up. People are scared of Batman. People are scared of this sign. Is he, you know, the, the spray can rolls into the darkness or the bank, the, the liquor store uh, robber is about to run into the alleyway. It's like, oh, maybe not. I'm going to take a step back. I'd rather get hit by a car than yeah. face Batman, which is yeah, just yeah. sort of like uh, not necessarily something we've seen before in terms of having that fear. I know that it was shown in The Dark Knight when you have the scarecrow scene where he's doing the deal in the car park and you have the the bat signal out there and people are kind of scared but not scared i think this film really created it differently with that moment and i think the pavements will be permanently wet and goffin with how much it rains which is insane which kind of leads me to the next point my next question as well sorry 
is when you're when you do have these stunts and there is rain involved maybe wind and other elements how do you prepare for that sort of stuff because i can imagine if you're fighting and you hit like a puddle you might slip or there might be something else involved do you go into the planning process that you know that this, that things are gonna pop up or do you sort of just rehearse in the rain and see what movements are like uh, amongst yourselves yeah so we go through the whole process of costume and what works and what doesn't work and particularly with footwear and we do we do tests on the ground just to make sure that when it's wet that we still have grip in our boots and then we do a rain test that we'll figure out our choreography and our rehearsals we'll get that signed off and then they'll do a rain test on the set and you get out there and you get freezing cold and you get wet <laughs> that's like legitimately what it is and bless the cow for that scene because standing in the rain the the actors and the stunt performers that were in the gang most of them well actually not all of them but some of them had bare heads and the raindrops were so big and so cold it was painful to take those those raindrops on your head so there was the added advantage of the cow of not getting hit by that but you've like uh, rick english did that fight sequence and I mean, everyone was freezing. All of the actors, they were freezing. They're just like wet to the bone. Yeah, there's no way. Sometimes there's no way around the elements. It's just rehearsal, deal with it, make use of it. That is how you would move in those moments. It's tough. The idea of, because I hate being wet, my biggest like pet peeve is having wet socks. So I'm not sure how people would have done that a whole day of just standing there, going through everything and just sort of being like, oh, I don't know if I could be able to do that. And that's the thing, like, you know, I say Rick did that fight scene. I mean, Robert was out there with him doing all of the fight as well. Like, we would get marked through by stunt doubles and things like that. But Robert was out there with them the whole time (laughs) in that rain, being a legend and, you know, making that whole scene happen. So, yeah. And, you know, like, you look around and the cast and crew and the camera guys, they've all got their ponchos on (laughs) there in it as well. It's like, you know, you can't avoid it it's unavoidable again you just saw the planning and preparation that goes into it to make it as yeah as good as it can be but you're exposed to those elements yeah just it just but then again that's another thing that like people won't see when making a film because i think sometimes as well a lot of practical effects are replaced with visual effects but i think a lot of i saw an interview where they wanted to create a lot of they wanted to do a lot of everything, pretty much everything practical uh, with what they can. And I can imagine with pandemic slightly changed that as well with what they could do and what they wanted to do. Just wanted to sort of uh, find out as well is, well, I guess w- what, what would you say would have, was your favorite day on set? It's an interesting one. As a stunt performer, my greatest moment was doing the wingsuit crash landing at street level because that was a massive stunt. It was super dangerous and it was nearly impossible to pull off because there was a highlighted cross set on the road where Matt Reeves wanted Batman to land after getting ratcheted sort of 70 feet and thrown off, off the deck, hitting a vehicle, tumble, 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 tumble down the street, bang, 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 bang land on this mark and not look like he's put himself to that mark like look like he's just rolled and ended up in a heap in a fetal position on top of this mark and to do that I mean that was months of planning and 
what was interesting off the back of the story I told at the beginning of the podcast was uh, Scotty Kirkbride, having gone through many iterations and Rick English doing that stunt, rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing it, and then realising that he was not going to be around. He was on doing another section. And then I had an injury at the time, so Scott Kirkbride was next in line. So then that became his gag. And I was like, this could be even better than the other stunt. I really want to do this stuff. And then unfortunately, Scott had to leave the production early and I got put back into that position just days before. And thankfully, I'd been working with Scott for the months leading up to that and figuring out how we could do it, working with the riggers to see how we can achieve the tumble and the distance and things like that. So I, I knew what I was getting myself into. And I also knew that it was impossible because during rehearsal, we'd made it like 50, 60, maybe 70% of the way. We had not never made it the full distance, let alone get anywhere near the mark. It's kind of like an Instagram video of somebody doing an impossible trick shot and landing it. And you know that they've rehearsed it a hundred times. Like it's, it's one of those, but the physical toll was extreme. It was excruciating and difficult. And the reference video we were given was a MotoGP rider washing out on a high-speed track and just tumbling head over heel and through the grass and landing basically in that position. And the short story is we did it three times. And on the third one, we absolutely nailed it. And it looked incredible. And to this day, I cannot believe everything just came together, like all the planning, all the like rehearsals. We just weren't like, we were were functioning at about like, like I said, say 50, 60%. And then this one, we just turned it up to 11 and let it hang and make it all, you know, just go full send on it and it paid off. And there's no way I could have done another one. <laughs> the recovery after that was immense. But the satisfaction and like, it was the biggest buzz I've ever had out of my whole career, pulling off that wingsuit crash landing. Yeah, because I think that was one of the biggest sort of shocks in the not shocks in the film but i think as an audience shocked because you have that badass moment where he's gliding and then boom he hits the sort of uh, the bridge uh, not the bridge sorry the um the, tra- the bus yeah, yeah. He goes un- under the bus and deploys a, a sort of like mini parachute to slow down and then hits the bus and tumble 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 and roll. yeah yeah and you're just like oh and then you could kind of because you, 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 i watched it in a uh full screening and it was you know, you could hear the audible, the audible, like, oh, extremely painful and everything. But just the idea that you, you, know, you did it in three takes as well, nailing on the last one, being like, whoa, don't need to do that again. But this... bit, like to, to give an extra little story to that, which I love this moment, because after number two, like I was in a lot of pain. I pulled something in my glute and my hamstring, I had real trouble walking. And I had to run out at the end of the scene for the most part. I just have to be along for the ride and pull my quick release at the right time. And I said to Rob Alonso, second unit director, I was like, and we had a backup that night that had never ridden the rig. He'd, he'd, I mean, he'd done a couple of rehearsals, but he had just come in, be there in case I couldn't do it or I got injured. And then he'd be the backup to see if they could achieve it. And I said to him, like, Rob, I got one more left in me. and there's definitely no way I'm going to be able to do it anymore. It's like it'll be the last Hail Mary. So if you want to have the other guy put the suit on and get rigged up and give him a few goes and give me a little rest and clear my head, I'm like, that's probably the best move. 
And Rob Alonso just turned to me. He's like, dude, we're so close. You've warmed up. You dialed in. If you got one more, let's send it. And a little part of me inside was so scared. I was like, oh, my God, this is what I signed up for. But the passion and, like, positivity that Rob had, and Rob was a phenomenal stunt man in his time, and he's a phenomenal second unit director. And it was his rigging team. We'd been working on this shot with Matt. He knew what he, we knew what we had to get. And we knew that I knew that if he thought we were close, like we were close. So we just had to go one more send and the rigger adjusted my position in the beginning. And like the velocity that that ratchet was sending us off to crash into the car and hit the ground and tumble, tumble was immense. And it's one of the most calmest that I've ever been on any stunt. And I'm laid there on the deck and they call action and there's like 30 seconds until the bus comes around the corner and it's all in line and then I hear the rigger doing the call. Ready, five, four, three. And I'm just waiting there looking up at the stars, just thinking about my timing, knowing what I have to do. I know everyone else is doing their job, focus pullers, cameras, special effects, everything. I've just got to do my job now. And it was just this like moment of bliss and peace until that ratchet fired and I'm propelled 100 miles an hour down the street. <laughs> popped my quick release. As soon as I popped my quick release and saw that I turned into the, the gutter that was going to kick me up in the air, I knew that the timing was right for everything and I was along for the ride tumbling. When I landed on the ground at that mark was right, literally right in front of my face. I was staring down at the ground in immense pain at it. I knew that we'd achieved it and then, yeah, it was a moment. <laughs> Uh, it's, moment. I think when you hear those sort of moments being captured and it, it the, it's like a weird way of like it's fate telling you when somebody's like yeah do you know what they'll g you up for one more and you think okay I think I got one more in me and then okay let's do it and then for some strange reason something just like the stars align in a weird way that you create that you create and you can just create that magic that gets captured before I, I hit to my last question, there is there's one thing that um, I've just picked up on whilst you're talking was that there's certain people, like different people in line to do certain stunts or dependent on availability. What, what I'm curious is about is when you're all working together, is there sort of like friendly rivalry of like, well, I'm number one today, so, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this? Or is it a case of the, like, it's not necessarily competition, but you're all you all sort of want to vie to do the best, the coolest stunt on the film? That's definitely, it's a good question. It's definitely pro, like uh, production dependent. And for me, I came into it seeing that Rick English was number one stunt performer. He'd been engaged in, by production earlier. He's a seasoned stunt performer, was an amazing fighter, amazing with vehicles, cars and bikes. And I've not worked with Rick in that capacity so I felt like I was doing my due diligence to give him all the support and space and time for him to do those things. And I, in a lot of ways, felt like I was Rick English's stunt double. I wasn't Robert Patterson's stunt double in the early times because, and because I had big shoes to fill if I was going to be working with Rick. And I, I mean, he and I gave it absolutely everything physically and we were in bits we were in bits and there's no way that we could have done that. And it's also in most films, you do have one stunt double. You might have second stunt double just for some second unit or main unit things. But on this one, 
you know I mean, we needed a team of people behind us. And I, it's like, yeah. And so I guess, I guess that's it in, in that, in that essence, like that particular Phil was an amazing team and not many people can hang with Rick English as a stunt performer. So that was all I needed to do and just to be supportive and hang with the big boys, right? Like that's what you want to do. You want to be working with the best people in the world because it makes you better. And that's what that film was. So yeah, that's also made that film yeah super unique. And the same with Scott, Scott Kirkbride. Like I mentioned, like he got to do that gag that I was going to do with the blast back uh, with the neck bomb. And then I got to do the gag that he was going to do with the wingsuit crash landing. And he gave me the most positive message literally on the night that I was doing it on voicemail. So that was like, yeah, it was a great vibe in that sense. But it's not always like that. <laughs> I'll tell you that now. That was a unique situation. Yeah. And yeah, I can imagine, do you know what? I can imagine the friendly banter of like, like the Toy Story things, like just fall in style and everything. Like imagine saying the, the night before, but yeah. Like, exactly. I mean, like th- there was one really funny moment that I always remember where I'd smashed in a gantry fight sequence fighting the bit of nobodies and stuff, all of these elbows and close quarters fighting and I, you, it's very difficult to elbow somebody when you're wearing the cow because you've got no peripheral. So you just have to throw the technique and knowing that the performer is going to be in the right space to do that. And then I had to sort of do a disarm and then throw another elbow, which was more like north-south going down. And I hadn't realised it stepped too close to the handrail. And the, your elbow is one point on the bat suit that actually isn't protected. And I'm just full force elbow into a steel rail and my elbow just like hematobed and popped up like a balloon. And that's an incredibly painful little thing that you're inside a tight suit. And every time you bend your elbow, you're putting all this pressure on it. So I had this massively inflamed hematoma on my elbow. <laughs> and the next day, I had to drop something off to Rick and he was getting changed into the bat suit to another sequence. And he had this big old like 1980s soft <laughs> skater pad on his elbow that was like gaffer taped on. And I was like, dude, what is that? It's like from... <laughs> like 1970s hooper or something pad pad and it's like man i hit my elbow like last week doing a roll and now i've got this big balloon it's so painful i can't put anything hard on it, it needs to be soft and i pulled up my sleeve and showed him my big ballooned elbow it was just freaking hilarious so we're actually going through the same thing like just getting you know beaten up and having to deal with the same kind of stuff it was a really funny moment I'm just like rubbing my elbow now, just being like, oh, just the idea of it's bad enough when you hit your elbow and it goes numb, but then for it to balloon up, oof. oh, yeah, no, and thank that, you. That, that hangs around for weeks and months, it like doesn't go away quickly, and it's tender. Um, <laughs> I, I know I said that I would have like one last question, but there's something else I wanted to sort of pick up on as well because I keep it because I feel like if I don't mention it, I'll regret it, so I'd rather run over than regret uh, not asking but you're talking about the fight on the gantry which is the climax of the film which quite starts off quite badass where batman just uh, comes through the glass ceiling and basically starts kicking ass and not taking any prisoners and everything and that's probably the most complete fight scene of the film where i think you kind of see batman is on a mission he has all that rage but it also he's He's not figuring it out. He knows what he needs to do. He knows what he needs to say. So when you're planning these these fight sequences and then performing them, well, as we've heard, one injury has already occurred with the elbow. Where do you start off with the fight choreography for it? And 
how do you build up to making it look believable on screen? Uh, it's a good question. Is Rob Alonso was the fight choreographer as well as second unit director, and he made it really clear early on that he wanted practical, functional techniques. It wasn't a superhero film with posing and posturing and special powers and superhuman strength and things like that. So, and he had obviously different techniques for the different characters like Catwoman. Uh, was a lot more kicks and things like that. And then, so you sort of, through all of that rehearsal period and the train platform fight was the first fight that we previewed. And that fight alone, we learned a lot. We had cape manipulation where he choked out one of the guys where he wrapped the cape around his neck. We found out limitations of what we could do in the suit with like, I mean, Batman was never going to be a kicker. He was never going to kick, right? So like, yeah, we wasn't going to be doing side kicks, like maybe basic front kick, back kick. And no, like any uh, inappropriate or non-practical spinning moves. It's like you would put a little bit of like spice or sauce on the move and you would do like a little cool flare or something like that. He didn't want anything like that. It was like direct line. It was functional. It like everything had a purpose. So yeah, I guess, and that is probably a good representation of what you saw with the gantry fight where he was like pushing forward. He knew what his task was, was involving. That early train sequence is what sort of taught us a lot about what Batman could do. And like <laughs> that line that, you know, that made it into the, the trailer on vengeance after he's just like pummeled this guy, freaking genius. Ali, thank you so much for uh, giving up the time to talk to me today. I've had a lot of fun and really enjoyed it. For those interested, the Batman's out now in cinema. Yeah, just go watch it. Sit there, enjoy. Don't be put off by the three hours. Just sit there, enjoy it, and sort of just take it all in. Yeah, real, ple- real pleasure, Robert. I appreciate the uh, conversation and the passion for it. It's fantastic. <laughs> Great. Uh, thank you very much. And um, Cheers. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.